all-new intervention. We go inside the disturbing new addiction that's bringing America to its knees. My name is Doug Fritz, and I am addicted to yelling at celebrities on Twitter. Everyone in my feed was bashing Ellen DeGeneres, so I did it too, and I got 50 likes. I was like... Wow, this is cool. Yelling at celebrities on Twitter was a high like nothing I'd ever felt before. It made me feel morally superior on issues I didn't even know anything about. I was getting a huge rush of approval from people I'd never even met. But they must be cool because they agree with me. I started skipping family functions just so I could try and get complete strangers fired from their jobs. And then I hit rock bottom. My boss saw my hate-filled tweets about the people who were spreading hate. And I got fired. Intervention. The yelling at celebrities on Twitter epidemic. I don't want to put down my phone. Nobody likes me in the real world. I believe that together we can make America great again. Oh, girl, there it is. There it is. Another big episode of Everybody Calm Down. Jimmy Fallon, your host, head writer for the Kennedy program. You can watch us Monday through Thursday, 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. You can hear me every day this week on Fox Across America from noon to 3. I'll be live uh, on 80 stations across the country. If you want to be a part of that, you can call in at 888-788-9910. By the way, nothing says this show sucks like me opening by promoting a different show. <laughs> Jimmy, is she good looking? Oh, great personality, bro. Really smart, really funny girl. Yeah, is she hot? Let me tell you, can she cook? I mean, I'm just being silly here. It's a loopy day. It's a Tuesday morning. Get ready to go host three hours of radio and write eight hours of cable news for the K-Train. You better watch the show tonight, by the way. we got big things going on. I'm not even allowed to talk about them in our promos. It's that type of show. Now, some of you listening to today's show might be first-time listeners who are a big fan of today's guest, Lori Palminteri. So I will just in, 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 in kind of hip you to the hip talk about what this show actually is. Although I work for Fox News, and I'm clearly probably pound for pound the most talented person there. Um, radio, TV, writing. I make paninis on the 12th floor. I park the shit out of cars when the valet guys call in sick. I could do it all. But this is an apolitical show. So when you listen to everybody calm down, I don't care if you're a Republican. I don't care if you're a Democrat. All I want you to do is not be an a-hole. That is it. This show is like an uh, almost like an audio safe space for cool people. Where like we're comics. I'm a comic on the show. I'm a comic guy. But you know that's what I do in life. And I don't think comics should be in charge of our democracy. I don't want to steer your vote. Okay. I went to community college. I lock my keys in the car two times a year. If I'm in charge of how you should vote, we are screwed as a country. I agree with that. So the truth is, you know, this isn't a high horse political show. It is an apolitical show. And we won't even talk politics today, period, because I've got to go do 11 hours of politics when I get off the air today with our phenomenal guest, Lori Palminteri. And I'm excited. We worked together recently at the Borgata where I, she's a phenomenal joke writer. A super cool dude, uh, great comic, a lot of fun to hang with. And I have a lot of questions because Lori and I, when we worked a week at the Borgata recently, that was like our that was like our intro to each other's dysfunction as people, as comics, as humans. So I'm excited to actually catch up. There'll be a lot of spontaneity here because I know very little um, about this chick aside from what I've read in her Craigslist personal ad. Uh, so we'll elaborate on all of that when she gets on the line today. Uh, and, and I... <laughs> I don't even know how to explain this to you. 
But I will be wrapping this show up and sprinting in uh, to Fox, where I will be hosting uh, Fox Across America, which is like, it's really bizarre to me to be hosting a radio show that I listened to as a cab driver. And I guess that's why I bring it up as much as I do, is that it's kind of like a mind fuck. I know I can't curse on the show, a mind F that I spend three hours a day hosting a radio show that I actually listened to that show when I was a cab driver, that time slot on that network. Um, and it's crazy. It's kind of like that Marky Mark movie. I think it's like rock band or something weird where he's like a karaoke sing, uh, excuse me, he sings in a cover band, but winds up working for the real band. It's bizarre, but it's the kind of like, I don't know. It's the kind of wild inspirational tale I like to share on a show like this because like the, the reality we face as comics, uh, when we write jokes right now, is that there's never been a better time to live in America. Never been a more tolerant, inclusive society than we are right now. Like, you would rather be gay, trans, bi, you'd rather be anything in 2019 than in 2009, 2002, or heaven forbid, 1987, because we weren't nearly as tolerant then as we are now. You'd rather be anybody in this day and age because it's so much more convenient, We've never had more economic opportunity across the board in every socioeconomic background. It's the best time there's ever been to be alive. Because of that, as comics, we're working in a particularly precarious time because people are obsessed with words. People are policing jokes. People are canceling comics over jokes they've told because we are so fat, stupid, and spoiled as a country right now we do need something to get mad at. That's just how white folks will do you. So the reality is, when things are going good in the country, it's a lot harder to be a comic because we have the luxury of getting mad at the pretend. Like, do you think anybody was canceling Halloween costumes during the Vietnam War or World War II or during the Great Depression? Nobody was canceling costumes. You know, you think anybody was going through old podcast files in Syria to run a comic off of the Saturday Night Live of Syria right now while they're dodging mortar fire and gassing their own people? Of course not. So the truth is, this is not a woe is me, like, oh, it's hard to be a comic because people are getting mad. This is a woe is you. <laughs> like, seriously, woe is you. Because you people, maybe not the ones listening to the show, but the you as a society is a bunch of fat, spoiled assholes right now where we do have time to get mad at comics, to get mad at jokes, to get mad at pretend costumes, to try to ruin the lives of people we've never met before. Like literally, you don't know a guy, but you've heard that Twitter wants him run out of town because he said something on a podcast or tweeted a joke nine years ago and now he's got to be ruined. Like, where are you as a person? How disgusting have you become as a mob enabler that you're willing to lend your name and your energy to doing those things while you're killing time on the toilet? Because that's all Twitter is. It's activists on toilets. It's people who think they're going to change the world by racking up digital dopamine, social currency, that, you know, resonates with the other members of their bubble. And to be honest with you, it's why I love talking to comics right now because I'm fascinated with the people who have posited themselves as comics. Like Lori Palminteri is coming on here in a minute. 
assuming she didn't listen to the opening of the show. She's coming on here in a minute. <laughs> and um, Lori Palminteri is a comic. Maybe it's dark some days. Maybe it's just goofy others. But the point is, it's just a comic. It's happening independently of the way the world is behaving. And that has always been the comic's job. It's to get on here, get on a stage, get on a podcast, and just share our views, point out the inconsistencies we notice in society, juxtapose them against other you know, comparisons, and, and, and find those little absurdities that make things worth laughing at. Find creative ways to take power away from our tragedies by joking about them. If you go back and listen to the famous episode that I did with Nick DiPaolo, which on this show is the most downloaded episode of all time, we talk about how New York City bonded post 9-11 by doing September 11th jokes. That is unfathomable today. Every comic on that stage would be canceled if that material surfaced right now. People would be losing endorsement deals and sitcoms and everything else like that because people have lost sight of what comedy means. And part of the reason is because comedians have allowed them to. Comics liked all the comic comedy blogs that treated us cool and all the fanboys and fangirls that started worshiping us and showing up to our podcast tapings and following us all over the city. But with that increased sense of importance came an increased level of scrutiny. And to be honest, most comics didn't push back against it because nine times out of ten, the people getting canceled weren't comics they agreed with or cared for politically. Like, comics didn't come to Roseanne Barr's defense when she got run out of town. So by the time they came around to help out old Shane Gillis, there wasn't anything they could do because they had already enabled the mob. Lori Terry is someone who very well uh, may get attacked by the mob in the near future. Uh, on some level, at least she'll be telling the type of dark, biting, funny jokes that at least get you your money's worth if you get run out of town because she's a funny comic. And that's why she's on this show, which is the most widely listened to podcast in my family. That's a big deal. Lori Palminteri joins us right here on Everybody Calm Down when we come back. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And now, great moments in presidential history. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. The Democrats have to now decide whether they will continue defrauding the public with ridiculous bullshit. There it is. There it is. Joining us now on the Michter's voice line. Uh, she is greeted by the song Enter the Dragon 
Not that I know of her as a kung fu fighter, but she does puff the magic dragon a lot on the road. Uh, a fantastic comic. Seriously, one of the best joke writers I've met in like the last five years. I'm so thankful to have her on the Mictor's voice line. It is Lori Palminteri. What's happening, Lori? What's going on, Jimmy? Um, I'm pumping you up, dude. Like the intro to the show. In the in the intro of the show, you might as well have been Bruce Lee and Under the Dragon. Like you fought off a kung fu gang, you you cured cancer, you fixed comedy, and uh, you offered me vaping cartridges that nearly got me killed at the Borgata. Thank God I dodged. <laughs> thank God I dodged that bullet. Are you still partaking in any of these devices on the road? What's going on? Are you living a clean life? Where are you right now in life? Um, like literally at the moment. No, I don't want to. That's too personal. No, I just wanted to know, like you know, because it's it's like post Thanksgiving. You know, everybody's in a different place. Like some people have fired the the starter's pistol of indulgence and are just off to the races from now through New Year's. Some people are trying to rein it in. Where is Lori Palminteri? Um, let's see. Well, it is December first right now. Um, I usually I have a but November is usually generally a kind of a rough month for me. I have I do a lot of um, self berating, and November is the t- the month where I beat myself up for not accomplishing more in November. <laughs> really? like, I November. love that you do it then, but are you doing it then? So you can then like step on the gas and try to have a big December or is November like the end of the year to you and December, you just bottom out and start over in January. Like how does that work strategically? Um, I don't think that I planned it strategically, strategically. It just sort of came to fruition that way. Um, I think when it is, it starts like when it starts getting really dark in November, I get like that seasonal affective disorder and I start mm-hmm. getting really blue. And then I'm just sort of a natural person who, um, you know, is very hard on themselves. So well, then I kind of especially take it out on myself in November, but, uh, usually around December, like this time, I actually really love Christmas. Um, oh. I have a big family, a big, great family. Mm-hmm. I'll enjoy Christmas lights and whimsical music, um, oh. <laughs> despite my dark uh, exterior. Um, well, and then I-, I feel like I'm able to let it go a, a little bit. And it's like, all right. What's well, funny? Let's have some cookies. Aww. Let's take it easy. <laughs> it's fine. Um, but I don't know that I'm it's not fine. Dying. I, but, I, but, but I don't know that it is because like I was telling my buddy Dean Imperial this because my buddy Dean is a, my writing partner and we do a lot of stuff together. But anyway, I was like, yeah, this, this girl, Lori Palmentier is a great comic. She's going to be on the show. Um, and he's like, you know, he's like, what makes it like such a great comic? I'm like, I don't even know, but she talks about killing herself a lot. And that's generally, <laughs> and that's generally a sign that a comic is on the make. That's how I know your career is going in the right direction because the better you get at this, the more pointless it all seems for some reason. You know, like honestly, the first time I saw Everything, you on stage, the, the first meaningless time, voice. Yeah, the first time I saw you on stage at the Borgata, I was like, oh, this chick's gonna kill herself. Like, I met within five minutes, and I, I left. <laughs> I left through all five minutes, and I was like, oh, that's such a shame. Because the truth is, if I didn't laugh once, you'd you're probably that other person who's a terrible comic, but has this weird inflated sense of self importance that'll you know carry you sociopathically through all of the showbiz doldrums. <laughs> but you're the other way. It's almost like you're too smart to do this. Like I want to choke you out with a pillow, like the end of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, because. I know they've gotten to you, you know, <laughs> but uh, no, 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 but you're definitely on your way. But this whole December thing that you just that you just brought up about uh, depressing, you know, like you love Christmas, though, that is because your family loved Christmas. Is that what that is? I think so. Yeah, because um, I don't hate my family. Uh, I know that holds you back, too, because I'm the same thing. Like if my parents, yeah, my yeah. parents got divorced after 20 years. I'm like, dude, if you could have did it after two, I'd be retired and famous by now. <laughs> but because you had to stick it out till I was 20, I'm like, you don't get anything out of a divorce when you're 20. 
Yeah, yeah. And they're um and they're super supportive, which a lot of comedians don't have, which I'm definitely thankful for. Um but I have my both my parents are one of six. I have nineteen first cousins. I have a gigantic family. And um, are you like so a dugger? <laughs> you what like, was it? Are you like one of the duggers? Like what's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a big big uh, my dad's hundred percent Italian, my mom uh Irish English, so big big family, both sides. A lot of cousins, um, so I just associate fan, like holidays with running around my cousins and getting drunk with them, which is um, <laughs> delightful to me. And they're they're we're good people, but they're, everybody's like me—a very sarcastic family. Or um, I mean, it's uh, it's really uh, being a comedian in training is a very funny family, and like everybody's pretty biting. Like you have to. Uh, you always have to like have a, a quib ready because otherwise somebody's going to get you. <laughs> it's always, you got to be on point. Like, you know, like rappers always say like, you won't catch me slipping or tripping or whatever right, the hell right. it is. You can't be tripping in the, in the Lori Palmentary house or you're going to get took out. I get it. Same Pretty thing. Much, yeah. Same thing. I grew up with like a fat family of Italian people who picked on each other all the time and it was actually fun and it does. It gives you chops a little bit. But what's funny about it is um, you're probably better equipped to be a comic because you because you enjoy tough love humor, then the broken home people who succeed because they just have an unfillable void that drives them, you know, to a place of success that they'll never enjoy anyway. But like, right, I mean, right, because no, there are plenty of those people where it's like, screw you, I'm going to be successful, and then that's their prime motivator, which is a good motivator. But like you said, I don't. It's not. Um, it's no path to happiness. Oh. Not that I'm the expert. I love that you've gone from Lori Palmentary to Marianne Williamson. Now you're now you're a life coach. <laughs> did, you did five minutes of podcast. Now you have a self help book series out. Um, <laughs> really, wow! This is a very empowering show today. Uh, no, I I always find it's when when I started doing stand up everybody was really mean to each other in terms of comics. And that was kind of like shtick. Like I remember the very first time I got paid at the comic strip, as I was signing a little sign in chief, Greg, the bartender, Vic Henley goes, you're going to take the money for that. And I was like, that's amazing. Like it meant a lot to me. <laughs> it, was like, it was actually funny. Like I stopped writing and just laughed and I thought it was funny. And everybody was like so mean to each other, but I think in a way, that made like comics like I don't I th I think everybody had more chops like socially then than they do now because like if you're mean to one of your friends on Twitter now there's some people that are cool with it but a lot of them are like hurt because you're like embarrassing their avatar in front of the other fake avatars that support them and you know their friends are like who's this person you know calling you names so I almost think we need to get <laughs> I think we need to get I've, I've experienced that before too where How, yeah one of my friends will be ball busting me and it's like somebody else who doesn't know that's like well I'm like no no that's one of my friends but then oh. other times it'll be a troll and I'll be like like, no, I don't know who that person is. They're crazy. <laughs> Yo, <laughs> Yo I, I don't mean to compete on this one. This is a funny story. So whenever um, Kennedy is out, the guest host on her show, this fellow Guy Benson's really fun guy, hosts a show on uh, Fox News Radio. And he's like Fox News contributor writes for a town hall and all that jazz. Anyway, I will write the topical storm, which is the stupid collection of videos we do at the end of the show to kind of talking about what's going on in the world. And I always write a bunch of jokes in there about me. Like we have this running thing going where he abuses me on the air so it's like he's reading jokes about me that I wrote myself well anyway 
every time he's on, I get like 12 texts from my mom being like, I'm going to bust this guy's legs. He shouldn't be talking to my son like that. And I'm like, no, no, no. I wrote the jokes. It's totally cool. Like, he's, <laughs> he's not really telling them so much as I'm writing them for him to tell. And she's like, yeah, they shouldn't even let him host. I don't see anything funny about him. He's picking on you. And I'm like, yeah, I, you just can't explain it, you know? Um, so I get it, Lori Palminteri. But what I think is we do need to get meaner as a society if we want to get better. Because I think this, like, everybody's special thing is, like, being held back by the fact that not everybody's special. Like, including me. Like, I'd be the first person to admit I'm not special. But I think the oh, idea. Yeah, yeah, sure. But I, I think everybody's special is failing us as a people. I think we need to go the other way. Is that a fair assumption? Um. I mean, I think that we have to sort of be, I don't know if uh, being meaner is a solution or, um, or, 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 but why is more being not as sensitive would be the apropos um, mm. way. Cause I mean, or being, or maybe more apathetic. Cause I feel like it's, it's, if it's a joke, if it doesn't bother, like one time I, I every once in a while have people who assume that certain posts or blog posts will like be about them. And sometimes it is, but other times I'm like, wow, you are crazy vain to think like that this, you're reading this and I'm like attacking you or this is about <laughs> you. And also I'm like, well, whether or not I wrote something that is about you, it's not even the point. If you think it's about you, then in a way it's already already it, it sort of already is. Wow. If I've tweeted something and you're like, oh, this is about me and this is the implications I'm taking from it. Um <laughs> and then but because I'm like if it, if I or if I write about you and you don't think it's about you, then it doesn't affect you, then it's not. Well, you know? This, like this, it ends up being like this sort of um This is like a very twenty nineteen Carly Simon song. Like you're, you're so vain, you probably think this tweet is no, about, you. about you. If, you think, if it's not about you, if you don't think it's about you, then it's not. Who cares? Like, just go go on with your life. Just um, get on with your life. Uh, let me ask you this question. Before you got into this whole fiasco of, you know, you live in a cancel culture world where you're trying to slang jokes. Um, was it different when you started? How long ago did you start? I started about, about 10 years ago. 30 oh, now. oh, wait, did you really I'm start? Millennial. You started 10 years ago? Oh, almost, yeah. Oh, you really should kill yourself. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> hey, bang. It's Stop close. It. It's close. Stop <laughs> it. Don't do it. It's so, like, I can't, we're not good enough friends at this point. Like, if you were going to kill yourself, I'd be outraged because I know there's no way I'm making it into the note. And um, I enjoy <laughs> I enjoy your company enough that if I feel like if we were friends for longer, I could make the note. So so for my sake, don't kill yourself. You got to make the note, you know, and I can tell you this as a writer. Like when I was driving a cab, I wanted to kill myself and I could I, I never would have because I couldn't make peace with the note. Like I would never have signed off on like this being my the note that everyone gets to read. Like I had so many edits and changes I'd want to make to this note in my head that I could never just write it and pull the trigger. So maybe that's what's keeping you alive is that you're too much of a perfectionist as a writer that you won't kill yourself. How about there that? Is a, I, they, there is a bit of a Dodo's conundrum to the to the note as a writer. That's so funny. <laughs> I can't do it, man. Who wants to sign off on that? But when you were starting out doing comedy 10 years ago, it was, um, you know, beginning of an Obama administration. It was a little bit lighter. Like the cancel culture, the outrage thing was definitely starting to take shape. That was more of a byproduct of social media becoming a bigger presence in our lives than anything. Um, but did you find audiences have changed between then and now? Like physical in the room audiences. Have you noticed a change there? Um, yeah, I think so for sure. Um, but I, I think it was already well underway when I started. Okay. And also when you first start, you're not really doing real audiences that much. You're doing a lot of open mics at bar shows. So that's kind of like, it's weird own special universe of non-reality. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's definitely, it's 
the the people getting upset about trigger words and not listening to content is infuriating because I mean, I, like you said before, I, I'm not a I'm not a dirty comedian, but I don't like anybody's standards. Um, but I am rather dark, and I have a lot of trigger words throughout my uh, <laughs> throughout all a bunch of jokes. Um, and I get pissed off because sometimes if somebody else would get pissed off, they're not even listening to the context of the joke. Yeah, they just heard the trigger word, and now they're pissed off. And I go, "Well, you didn't even you weren't even annoying. listening to me. Like you just you heard the trigger word, and now you're outraged." Yeah, you didn't, even, you didn't uh, even get the, you're like, yeah, you didn't even get the you're other entitled point. to not like somebody something, you know? It's like if you think a comedian, you don't like a comedian stuff or it offends you personally, first of all, stop going to comedy clubs. That's insane to me. Um, but also just leave, just pay your check and leave. Um, well, I get it. No, it makes, it makes sense. And, and the idea that anyone would go out and think that in a room of 300 people, like the fact that they don't like something is more important than the fact that 299 people do like something. Right, right. Like, Everybody else is laughing. It's like, like a spectacular sense of self-importance where you're like, you know what? I don't like lights. So everyone in this restaurant is going <laughs> to eat in the dark because I don't like lights personally. They offend me. They upset me. So that's what we're going to do. It is. It's interesting. And I would say this because um, I started doing stand up. I mean, like legit, like 15, 16 years ago. Um it was definitely, definitely, um, you could offend people with a joke 15 years ago. You couldn't offend them with a setup. Like the idea that, like you pointed out, that you could offend people with a setup right now. I almost think that's comics fault because I think there are too many comics who let audiences get away with that and not enough like, hey, F you, this is a comedy club. Stop it. You're being a child. Like if we needed more of that along the way, because we got to this point where the audience took over the room in a way they never had before. So right. back to our theory of that we all need to be terrible people on parade. I think every comic needs to do that too. Like even if you're a guy who makes balloon animals, you start you need to start making like dark balloon animals. You know, this is F, this is Epstein hanging himself. Whoops, twi <laughs> twist it again. This is Epstein not hanging himself but dying anyway. You know, <laughs> there's got to be there's got to be a way to do it, Laurie Palmentary. What did you think of? Because obviously you've survived, which I consider to be the most daunting thing in the world. Is most people don't know where comedy starts, but it really does start at like an open mic or like um, a comedy ambush show. Did you do comedy? Ambush shows where like you're performing at an Italian restaurant where the people they're eating didn't even know there would be comedy that night. Tons. All, yeah. Tons. <laughs> wait, um, I, wait, let me just explain it to the audience. So a lot of shows, this is the way it works, audience. It starts off with us doing open mics, which is like comics performing for comics. And for some of us, it's a way to work out jokes. For a lot of people, it's a way to save a copay on therapy. And they literally write, but, but it's true. Like, did you meet those people that like week in and week out would like literally be there just talking about their life's problems with no punchlines? Have you ever seen a few of those? Oh yeah, of course. It's uh the open mics are, um, a necessary evil, uh, for sure. Like it's something you got to grind out in the beginning a lot, um, in order to get good. It's, it's like, um, you know what it's like in the beginning of saving private Ryan, when they storm the beach, Normandy at Omaha beach, and they're all like dodging all kinds of incoming fire. But then you land on the beach and you figure out who's with you and you advance up the shore. That's what open mics are. It's that it's like, it's like a total hellhole, but you find the two or three people that are trying to escape them with you. And, right, you advance, right. uh, and you you find those like going, which is very important. Those oh, people are have very to have important them, in your because life. they're the ones who get you to the prestigious circuit of comedy ambush shows. You go from open mics to the next thing is called produced shows for you people listening at home, where we'll now be on stage at like restaurants 
where we're having a comedy night with five or six comics or usually like 15 comics because the guy producing it gave a spot to seven other people who are going to give him a spot at their own comedy ambush show. But the point is we're now doing comedy for people who didn't know there would be comedy which is the mm-hmm. funniest thing in the world. It's like a guy's out on a date with a girl. The next thing you know, he's getting crowd worked, asking if they're banging and how long they've been together. Yeah, well, yeah. he's just trying to eat his mozzarella sticks and now he's getting picked on by some comic who's getting paid in drink tickets. But you did a lot of those shows. Did you do any of the ones? Um, I know the Long Island ones, like the crowds embrace it, you know, because they do know they're having like the Italian restaurants having a comedy night once a month. But have you done the ones in the city where the crowd literally didn't know they would be at comedy? Oh, I thought I'm all over. They, they, they just all this, but it never, um, I mean, I, I had a good disposition for those type of shows. I mean, first of all, I mean, you, I'm low energy. I'm one-liners. Like, I really need people to pay attention. I'm, ne- I'm never going to be the person who's going on stage and yelling into a mic. Um, but those people who sort of cater to that form very bad habits. Yeah. Where in my head, it was like, right, I'm always going to perform like I'm in a club or a place where I'm listening to me, even if people are not. <laughs> um, but I mean, I, cause in a situation like that, where you're doing an ambush comedy show, basically, and I've seen so many comics go on stage and just become livid that nobody's listening to them and they fly off the handle, they're cursing at the comedians, they're cursing. And I'm like, are you crazy? I'm like, yeah, this person just came out. They probably haven't seen that person in eight years or having a reunion with them and you're trying to yell like <laughs> your dumb jokes in their face like they don't want to listen to you. I'm like, you're um, mad. This guy in the front row is paying to be here and yeah. and not to see you. He's paying to be here for an entirely different reason, you know? Um, right, right. The, the so best- the best approach is like you just go in, you do your joke. If there are people that are listening, mm-hmm. you do your jokes to those people. And maybe if you could win those or people over, you win over some more people. <laughs> and I always found that that was like a true test of like my own ability to, as a comedian, but not, but just like um, able to like weather that situation emotionally and be like, all right, I'm just going to play to these couple people. If I could win over those people, that's it. You block out everything else. <laughs> back, um, back to the Omaha Beach uh, analogy. You find the three like-minded people in the crowd and take them with you. Exactly, because um, that's the only way you're going to learn from that scenario. That's it. It's it, the only way you can learn from it, it. It is funny, though. You point out that like at open mics and specifically at like produced comedy shows, um, in the very beginning, the people who kill in those rooms never kill with real audiences ever, Correct. which is crazy because there are people in those rooms that like could crowd surf out of there when their sets over because they did that well and they always bomb. And I do think it's because there's a specific type of humor like open mics. It's usually just filthy, dark, taking a dump on the industry and where you're at. And it's like comics comedy, you know, and the ambush shows are a little bit like that, too. And it's almost like, it's, it's funny, but venues are like becoming Trump jokes in that, you know, there are a lot of Trump jokes that make comics think they're better than they are because they crush in the city because right, everybody right. hates the president. But then you get 90 miles outside the city and everybody's like, why is he picking on the president? You know, <laughs> <laughs> they're mad at you, you know, and uh, it's, it's really funny. But I, I think you're right in that too many comics are letting the room define their style. And again, I, I hate to compliment you this much because I don't want to keep you alive much longer than you want to be here. <laughs> but I do think you make a good point is that you're supposed to bring the room to you and not go to the room. Very, mm, mm Lori Palminteri. I'm telling you, really are like a self-help comic now. This you, you, <laughs> you found a niche. I mean, all you basically have to do is stay away from those bunk vape cartridges you're peddling on the road. And I think you'd be okay. <laughs> hey, did you do, uh, did you do Cat Tim's show yet? I did not. No. Oh, you have um, to do that. I mean, do you? Are you guys friends because of her vaping obsession? 
No, no. I mean, I've known because I guess because Kat, you know, started doing stand up years ago too. That the same time I did, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I and mean, she already was like in, like wrote for the National Review or interning at the time there. Um, and, um, I think so. I think I, people would either confuse us sometimes or people would be like, oh, you should check out. And I'd be like, who the fuck is, who's this girl? You know? Yeah. <laughs> and then I met her. I was like, oh, I see why people are like, not only do you look like her, but you have a very similar like disposition about things. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, it <laughs> um, is. It, it's funny, but, but she has a lot more mileage on her than you do. Like she is the genuine article. Like, I'm not saying you aren't either. I'm just saying like she, yeah, she goes hard. She's a very cool girl. And uh, her boyfriend, Cameron, is is like the coolest, like all the Timps. I know her whole family really well. And uh, they are living like that. You know, you can either live, you can, you're either living or dying in this world. The Timps are living like a mofo. <laughs> like, so, they, they seem to be, they seem to be. Yeah, I want, no, I want to see you on her show because that's a really funny energy because when I thought about it, um, when I heard somebody say to me, like, yeah, they're trying to put together this booking with Lori Palminteri and Kat, it reminded me of how, like, you never see two homeless guys on the same corner because their crazy energies cancel each other out. So like, <laughs> you'll see, like, a guy ranting across the road from a guy ranting, but you never see them splitting the corner. I think it's going to be really interesting to see you guys split the corner. So I have to know when that becomes a thing, okay? Yeah, sure. I huh. think it'll be fun. I, I think I'm a little bit more apathetic or maybe just, just beaten down than Kat is, but Kat is probably more like my spirit animal in a way. Like she's, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not kidding. Like, you no, know, her career is soaring. Like it's actually soaring. Like she's a superstar. Um, and listen, you're about to be a superstar too. If you don't kill yourself, which is I'm on the <laughs> fence about that. I am. Well, you kill yourself and then you become a superstar. Whoa, you could be a posthumous dying, dying genius. Is a very good career move. That is funny. In, in entertainment. <laughs> That is funny. If you kill yourself, people are going to be like, just, this, people pe- are like, that girl is a genius. Uh, they'll yeah. say these things. I mean, they're completely not true. Yeah. Like, very nice. And then you'll die and they'll be like, hey, I got the bootleg of uh, Lori Palminteri at Mateo's Italian restaurant. You got to hear it. <laughs> did, you, did you see it talking to that guy in the oxygen tank at the Borgata? Like <laughs> she killed. She actually killed. He died. He was 100 years old. <laughs> oh, it's really funny. No, I have to see it. But yeah, you could be a posthumous genius. But no, no. You're on your way. You're absolutely on your way. And um, Kat, but Kat is the same way. And it's like so funny because when I met her, um, I was at Fox. It was like five years ago. And she came like barreling in like uh, just the way Kat does straight hot mess. And I was like, th- I was like, this chick is like a mess. Oh my God. Who is this chick? And then she opened her mouth and was like, oh, I'm a mess. And I was like, oh, I get it. That's amazing. It's the most endearing thing in the world. So you guys are making hot messes great again is what you're doing. If you need a slogan, that's what it is. <laughs> so let me know if you make it past security. Cause I want to come to that taping. Okay. Lori Palminteri. Sure. All right, cool. And thank you for doing the show today. You got to come do Fox News radio soon. When you're not being a diva, I think last time you're like, yeah, I can't. I'm in Delaware. I got, like a, <laughs> I got to put out a fire at the firehouse or whatever the hell you were performing, which I love mentioning as we get off the show here is that it is so funny to me that in comedy, you could literally be doing Conan on a Thursday and performing at a firehouse on a Friday. And I think that's the funniest thing in the world. Lori it's very true. Or people do late night spots and then they return to their like cubicle office day job. Like there's so many people. That's who have the that funniest. Too. Like if you're watching, so yeah, like if, if you're listening to the show and you've ever watched a comic on Colbert specifically because of the type of comic they book to nine times out of 10, that person got up earlier than you did the next day because they yeah, had to go oh to yeah. work and do they go to their, their shitty J job where they're making $19 an hour after they just did a, 
national TV debut that, you know, <laughs> most people will never come in the orbit of getting. What a time. Um, what a time crazy. to be a comic, Lori Commentary. <laughs> what a wonderful time. Listen to me. Thank you for joining me. We'll always have this. I'll be in touch during the week. All right. Thanks, Jimmy. There she goes, Lori Palmentary. Everybody's so exciting. There she goes. We will wrap it up here in a minute the little showbiz tale. Uh, but follow Lori Palmentary on Twitter, on Facebook, MySpace, Friendster, wherever you get your content from comedians these days. Follow her wherever comedians are being canceled. Uh, we wrap in a minute when we come back on Everybody Calm Down. Prom season is here, and now you can get help landing a date from the prom master himself, R. Kelly. Because my heart is so big. R. Kelly goes to more proms a year than anyone. Four, five, six, fifty, you said. So trusting someone else with a promposal would be a huge mistake. That's stupid. Use your common sense. R. Kelly can teach you how to prompose in person or on social media. Is this camera on me? And he does not mess around when it comes to getting a yes. Y'all quit playing. Quit playing. R. Kelly's Promposals, the service that won't take no for an answer. I don't need to. Why would I? There it is. There it is. Break number three on Everybody Calm Down. Best podcast on the planet. We don't care how you lean. We don't care who you're voting for. We don't care if you vote. Just be a positive difference in society. Ask yourself that question every day. When I walk into a room, are people happy to see me? Are people kind of mad about it? Are people generally indifferent? You just want to be like a good vibe, dude. That's all we really need in the world right now. As crazy as this sounds, everybody needs to be a little more Kanye West, which sounds silly. But Kanye West, like if you hated him, you hated his politics. If you liked him, you liked his politics. I don't care. But he loves his art so much. Meaning he, everyone I know who's worked with him is like, oh my God, like he'll re-record a song 712 times. And... um. You know, he's like so obsessed with getting it right and he always gets these like manic creative binges where he starts recording at three in the morning out of nowhere or he wakes up at five and starts writing. He's an actual artist. He wants to make great stuff. And whatever you're doing, if you're, you know, um, you're rapping, you're making French fries, you're driving a taxi, whatever the hell you're doing, if you just do the shit out of your job and you obsess yourself with being the best version of the fry cook or the cab driver or the Times Square Elmo or whatever it is I'm going to wind up doing when this podcast gets canceled. Um, If you just emanate good vibes and you're great at what you do, you will create a market for yourself somewhere. Um, And that will lead to your own personal advancement. And from there, you will also better society because we, we just need, I'm not even kidding, man. Like we just need more positive energy. Like the world's amazing right now. It is amazing. Yeah, you turn on the news, you see a lot of bad stuff because the old moniker in the news business is if it bleeds, it leads. So you're just going to see bad stuff. You know, uh, an old newspaper editor once told me, 
uh, a story about, uh, he said, cops, tits, and the Yankees. And he said, hey, if you want to work here, you write about cops, tits, or the Yankees, and you'll have a long, distinguished career. I was like, oh, I get it. I get what sells. I get what people respond to. But the reality is, for as much negative information as you think you're being besieged with, the vast majority of life here is phenomenal. And there's so much opportunity and good shit going on. And I feel like in a lot of ways, we're so busy fighting for control of the country that we're missing out on the fun. Like, this is the fun. Like, if you were to talk to the people 20 years ago, or maybe even talk to the people 20 years from now, I'm like, God, you guys had all the fun. Why, why were you so busy fighting over who was elected? You maniacs. So I don't know why I was making fun of Lori for being a life coach, but now I've gone full Marianne Williamson. So what do you say we end the show? Thanks for listening. Check me out on Fox News America today from noon to three. Shout out to Lori Palminteri. Go home to mommy. Go home. Bye. Go home to mommy. Go home to mommy.